Hi, everyone. Welcome into the show. We have episode four for you today. Technically episode three. This is still our second case. Um, but thanks for joining Allegedly with the Molinas, a podcast with my wife and I, Chris Molina here. Joined with me today is Brie Molina. Hi, everyone. So, like I said, we are in part two of an episode um, this is the death of Ryan Poston. We released the first episode a few days prior. So if you haven't listened to it yet, I urge you to go back, listen to it, and then you'll be ready to go for this part two. Otherwise, you might be a little lost. Um, for those of you that listened to it, thank you again for your support. Um, just as a reminder, in part one, we talked about Ryan's life some of his background, how he was an attorney, um, you know, his, I guess, quote unquote, love interest, and what happened, what spiraled after that. Mm-hmm. His death, as you can tell from the title, it's the death of Ryan Poston. The 911 call, we gave you the 911 call shortly after his death for you to listen to. That's in part one. Look it up. <clears throat> and finally, we ended on Shana's interrogation you know his his ex-girlfriend the accused um give our thoughts on that and i think Mm -hmm. for today for part two we're going to get into the first trial and subsequent trials right yes there's two trials of shana shana hubers okay so yeah so that's what part two is going to be on is both trials you ready to get into it let's get into it Okay, let's get into the first trial. Um, All live coverage of the trial was banned. So do you want to go into a little bit about why that might be? Uh, I mean, you always want the accused to have a fair trial. And a judge has to balance the fair trial with a public jury trial. So in order for her to get a fair trial, it might seem beneficiary to make sure that there's no live coverage going on you want to fit you want a fair jury basically okay um of course it's still you know public people can go um it's not it's not behind closed doors it's just you can't live stream it (laughs) okay and shana entered a not guilty plea on january 6th 2013 one thing i'd like to mention about these is 99.999 percent of people um, accused of a crime having um, will go to their arraignment and will plead not guilty. That doesn't mean that um, I he- I often hear people say like, oh, why would they plead not guilty? They they did it, or it's obvious they did it. They confessed, blah 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 blah. But you know you have those constitutional rights. Um, it's in it's in your best interest to plead not guilty at the arraignment. You know, let your attorney do the work for you. Either, you know, start barreling towards trial, maybe work out a good plea offer. Because if you plead guilty at arraignment, technically the judge can then just sentence you to the maximum. It's within their discretion. So you don't want to do that, even if you're very guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for that. So the trial began on April 14th of 2015. Mind you, this happened in October of 2012. Okay, so... That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, not to get into the weeds too much, but here in 
New Mexico in Albuquerque, um, they have like a case management order. So cases have to go to trial within a certain, certain amount of time and they can't languish for time and time and time. Obviously, that's different than what it used to be years ago, but that's where we're at now. Um, and she did have a self-defense uh, defense. <laughs> a self-double defense. Mm -hmm. So um, when you claim self-defense, you have to basically make a case that what you did was justifiable. And you have to be able to submit a jury instruction to, to the court. For example, in New Mexico, if you can get the judge to agree that you made a, uh, you made a prima facie case, so on the on its face you made a good case for self defense that can be taken to the jury to decide. Uh, an example of the instruction a judge would give the jury would be: an issue in this case is whether the defendant acted in self defense. The defendant acted in self defense if there is an appearance of immediate danger of death or great bodily harm to the defendant as a result of blank, fill in the blank. So, you know, as a result of what happened between Ryan and Shayna. And the defendant, Shayna, was in fact put in fear of immediate death or great bodily harm. And because of that, um, and did what she did because of that fear. And the apparent danger would have caused a reasonable person in the same circumstances to act as Shayna did. So start thinking about it as we move on to, into this trial. Would a reasonable person have acted the way Shayna did when um, she was allegedly getting thrown around the apartment? Um, the prosecution was led by Michelle Snodgrass, and she said that Shayna shot and killed Ryan because she couldn't accept that the relationship was ending. She said They said that she was obsessed and manipulated him to stay in the relationship as long as she could. And several people testified that she was relentless in her pursuit of Ryan and that he kept trying to end things with her. For every one text Ryan sent Shayna, Shayna sent a hundred text messages. And that's not hyperbolic, right? No. I can't even imagine what that looks like on a, on a screen. Like if I would be like, hey, babe, and then you send me a hundred texts and I'd be like, so how's your day? And then a hundred more. Yeah, and I don't, I think it was like, she would respond, and then maybe he didn't respond in time, so then she would become incessant. Um, <laughs> and there were text messages from Ryan to other people. He said to his cousin, this is getting to be restraining order level crazy. She refuses to leave, um, which is interesting considering he wasn't able to file a restraining order. His stepfather stated that Ryan told him he was going to break up with her, but he was afraid of her reaction. In a text that he texted Shayna, he told her that she could be the one to tell everyone that she broke up with him. Um, he asked her to stop texting him so that he, and that he no longer had the patience to deal with her. He had once asked his cousin to come help him physically remove her from the home because she was refusing to leave. Um, but there were never any signs of violence. And um, so Shayna's defense argued the opposite and tried to show that he was violent and he snapped that night. Um, also, interestingly enough, Shayna texted 
uh, her friend two weeks before Ryan's death and told her friend while they were at the shooting range that she wanted to turn around, shoot him, and make it look like an accident. And that was two weeks prior to his death? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So Shana didn't take the stand, and they uh, pointed the defense pointed to the Facebook post that Ryan made when he said he wanted to rig explosives to everything he sees. And they said that Ryan was taking Xanax and Adderall, and he that could have caused a violent outburst. Um, there was evidence that disproved Shana's story. His neighbors downstairs again said that they didn't hear any signs of an altercation that night. They did hear two gunshots, a pause, and then four additional gunshots. They also had Shana's uh, previous cellmate testify, and she, Shana admitted to her that she was the aggressor and that she was going to use the battered white wife defense to get away with killing him. And she also mentioned the nose job joke to him so that she gave Ryan the nose job that she he always wanted when she shot him in the face. So a few things to break down here. Um, it's just a general rule. If you're talking to your cellmate about what happened and what you allegedly did, just, um, don't, just don't, that's a good way to put it. Just don't, because just assume that they're going to tell the prosecutors everything. You don't think in a case like this, you know, especially a murder case, they're not going to talk to your cellmate about things that, you know, you may have said no, um, especially because they could get a deal out of it. Mm -hmm. The cellmate could say, yes, I can testify against her in exchange. Can you drop my charges or can you give me a lesser plea? Blah, 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 blah. So you, you put it great. Just don't. <laughs> um, yeah, the cellmate felt sorry for Ryan's family, which is why she came forward. Um, she also told her cellmate that she was going to plead insanity at first, but that she was too smart for that because she had the, Einstein, the IQ of Einstein. Well, as uh, kind of humorous as that may be, she does point out that there um, typically is some sort of defense that you can say, you know, you're a better wife. Like, you've been abused all this time, day after day or week after week, and at one point you just snapped, and that's a way to explain away some cr criminal liability. So she is thinking about how to get away with this, but it, <laughs> it may have been short-sighted. Uh, I also would like to reiterate the fact that she had a psychology degree. I I also have a psychology degree, but um, just maybe why she was thinking along those lines. Yeah. She's desperate. Yeah. Women in, um, she was in prison with testified that she bragged about what she had done. She told one of them she would intentionally throw herself around his condo to make it look like he was abusing her. Uh, the way she acted in the in. in, in interrogation didn't help again she was doing pirouettes when she was alone um singing amazing grace singing i did it yeah i did it um and then kind of changing her story in the interrogation i wonder if she should have just pled insanity <sighs> typically you have to prove that you could not form the uh, intent you couldn't mentally inform uh, form the intent to commit the crime because you were just insane at the time mm -hmm. the the prosecution even brought in um, Audrey Bolt 
who was the woman that was supposed to go out with Ryan on the day that he was murdered, even though she had never been able to meet Ryan. And a lot of people said that they did that just to kind of rile Shayna up. Um, Shayna acted like she was proud of what she had done and kind of getting into the forensic evidence a little bit. There was proof that showed that she got closer and closer to Ryan's body with each shot. Um, acting with intent and not someone who was trying to get away from their attacker. After the second shot, Ryan would have fallen to the floor, leaving time for Shayna to get away, but she continued to shoot him four more times, and Ryan was likely alive up until the last shot. Um, so a forensic expert testified that she was the aggressor, and they could have tried to save him after the first two shots if she had called 911 after those two. And the, that was kind of the end of the trial, and the jury was gone for a few hours after the trial wrapped. So the fact that they had a forensic expert to say that she was the aggressor isn't great for a self-defense claim. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> it seems like her story, through every version she told, kind of fell apart. Mm -hmm. especially since you know she shot him twice she could have easily gotten away and she chose to shoot him another four times especially because if correct me if i'm wrong but a neighbor heard a pause right yeah they heard a thud and a pause and then four more times Mm -hmm. um and what do you think about the jury only being on for a few hours um so as a defense attorney i Try not to read too much into how long the jury is okay. out uh, deliberating for. Typically, you think, you know, if if they're in a murder case, if they're only out for a few hours, then, you know, it's going to be a conviction. Mm-hmm. But we saw from the OJ case, that's not always true. <laughs> true. Even when they're, you know, they could deliberate for days, weeks, and still come back with a guilty verdict. I try and train my brain when I'm waiting for a jury to come back that the amount of time they took to deliberate is not a good or a bad thing. But I can see why people think so. Okay. Um, So she was found guilty and sentenced to 40 years. Uh, She would have the eligibility for parole in 34 years. In New Mexico... If you're found, if you're convicted of a serious violent offense like murder, um, and you're sentenced, you have to do, as a general rule, eighty-five percent of your sentence before you're eligible for release. So, okay. good time is when you can earn good time in prison or jail, and it's usually day for day. But when it's a serious violent offense, it's eighty-five percent in New Mexico. So it sounds like they have something. They have something similar mm-hmm. here because she did 34 years with, right? She was sentenced to 40 years where she couldn't. Yeah, she uh, wouldn't be eligible for parole. There we go. That's what I was looking for um, until she served 34 years. And the judge did make a note that she never expressed any sympathy and she did not apologize to Ryan's family. Which is a weird thing, though, <clears throat> from the judge's perspective. Like if someone's asserting their right to a trial to like say that she didn't apologize to his family what do you what do you get by that because in my head i'm like why would i have a client apologize to the to the 
deceased family. The way I would think is if you truly did do this in self-defense and it wasn't because it was there was malice intent to kill him, then you kind of would feel sorry that you took someone else's life. Okay. Because you felt like you you had no other choice. So it's based on her perception on the stand, like how yeah. apologetic that she, you know, she didn't mean to kill him, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and his family's, Ryan's family said that Ryan loved the law and that they would accept this outcome. Um, but you do know that we mentioned that there were two trials, so something did happen. And causing there to be another trial. In 2016, Shana's conviction was overturned because one of the jury members was found to be a convicted felon. You lose a lot of rights when you become a convicted felon. Right to vote, right to bear arms, and yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, which would make, if they were a convicted felon, it made them ineligible to serve on a jury. Yep. Um, so you've kind of done that jury process. Uh, shouldn't they be checking that? Yeah, there's questionnaires that every juror must answer, um, and one of them is, you know, have you been convicted of a crime? You know, is it a felony, et cetera, et cetera. The, you should, sometimes jurors don't answer those questionnaires before they go to the panel and attorneys are asking them questions, but um, someone should have caught it. <laughs> yeah, like they don't do like checks. Um, since I've never been called for jury duty, I don't. I, I have, but I just assume that I pass through the checks. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I can say that, you know, based on my experience, there's not like a deep dive into it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of labeled this in between. So in between the two trials, uh, Shana's defense wanted to change wanted a change of venue because she didn't think that the trial would be fair due to all of the news coverage. Um, and interestingly enough, the notary who signed the change of venue petition, because I guess in Kentucky it's actually a petition, um, was found to have forged over 180 signatures on that petition. <laughs> so after this, they re- withdrew their petition to change the venue and also in between Shana requested a marriage license because she had fallen in love with another inmate and uh they did get married and then they Shana ended up filing for divorce in 2019 Hmm. okay um you typically see possible requests for change of venue especially in like smaller towns when Mm -hmm. something like this happens everyone knows everyone you might not get a jury um, of 12 of your peers that really don't know who you are or know, you know, what the case is about. Because, you know, as we pointed out, this happened two and a half years after mm-hmm. after his death. So that, at that point, the defense, a defense attorney might um, think it's unfair to have this case where it is. So they want maybe a fresh county somewhere where they might not know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this case was often um, uh, compared to, again, the Jody Arias, uh, the murder of Travis Alexander. So it was pretty highly, I not televised. What am I looking for? It was in the news. Publicized? Yeah, highly publicized. Thank you. 
Um, and I think we're going to take a look, quick break um, and then we'll go into the second trial when we come back. All right, we are back and we're going to get into the second trial. Um, so the second trial began in August of 2018 with Judge, Judge, Judge Daniel Zala. This case was also not broadcasted live and um, as was real-time reporting. So no like live tweeting of the trial. Um, Shayna's attorney, David Eldridge, pivoted and wanted to prove that extreme emotional distress was the cause for her to kill Ryan. So as you know, the first trial, they tried to prove self-defense. And the second one, they wanted to prove that Shayna had extreme emotional distress. Um, And he said, I, and um, he quoted, it was two deeply flawed people whose relationship ended tragically. And I think that they pivoted to this because it would lead to a lesser charge of manslaughter. That is correct. So in New Mexico, manslaughter is defined either, it's either voluntary manslaughter or involuntary manslaughter. Um, And to prove, basically, if you want to Um, avoid a life sentence or a second-degree murder charge, which is a lot of years, to say the least, you might want to say this was voluntary manslaughter. In Mexico, you have to prove that the defendant, Shana, killed Ryan here, um, and that Shana knew that her acts created a strong probability of death or great bodily harm to Ryan. And the big thing is here, Shana would have acted as a result of sufficient provocation. In New Mexico, sufficient provocation means um, it can be any action, conduct, or circumstances which arouse anger, rage, fear, sudden resentment, terror, or other extreme emotions. And Bree, didn't you point out that her attorney um, wanted to prove that she suffered from extreme emotional distress? Yes, extreme. So uh, voluntary manslaughter and involuntary manslaughter are much more preferable to murder. Okay. Thank you for that. And defense said that Shayna was sexually abused in high school, and because of this, she didn't know how a healthy relationship looked, and it gave her PTSD. And her PTSD was triggered during their relationship. Um, They did get a psychologist to testify that she was likely suffering from PTSD and BPD, which is borderline personality disorder. They said that her BPD, BPD caused her to have intense reactions to situations. They said that Ryan was overly critical of Sheena and wanted her to be thinner and get breast implants. They also said that he ordered her to talk 25% less and that her voice annoyed him. Um, And Sheena did take the stand in her trial. (laughs) So in our last case, we talked about, you know, the Mm -hmm. pros and cons of having your client testify in trial. It is their right, so even if you advise that it would not be a good idea to testify and they choose to do so, you have to make sure you are going to back up. They will testify if they want to. Um, You just have to make sure they are ready to go. They're ready for your questions. Um, They're ready for the prosecutor's questions. And you have to have a game plan of what you want to get out for the jury to hear from your client. 
Um, so while she was on the stand, she laid out the months of abuse and that she was scared of Ryan in the beginning. And basically they were trying to make her look like the victim. Um, she admitted to having possessive tendencies and that she would go in his phone and block other women from talking to him. And she tried to claim she did what she could so her boyfriend wouldn't hurt her, basically. Um, so she tried to make sure that he, she made him happy so he wouldn't hurt her, um, her words. And there was one person who testified that Shayna confided in her about this abuse. And now moving on to the prosecution, the prosecutor, Kyle Burns, stated that the original, um, he stayed with the original motive that basically if Shayna couldn't have Ryan, no one could. And that's a pretty powerful um, narrative for the jury, especially with the facts that we have in front of us. Mm-hmm. The moment she finds out that he's talking to this new this new woman, um, she you know she searches her on Facebook. She knows who she is, and before they can even have a date, he's dead. She also saved a photo of this woman on her phone. Yeah, and based on, you know, I get, you know, where her defense is coming from, too, but it Mm -hmm. seems like a lot of it unravels with the testimony of uh, Ryan was basically trying to break up with her for months, Mm -hmm. right? And she even admitted, again, on the stand to having possessive tendencies and blocking women from talking to him. See, that, that contradicts her angle that, you know, she is the victim here um mm-hmm. so i i think her attorney was stuck between a rock and a hard place here and he had to do what he had to do but i can see where it wouldn't make sense as for a neutral juror to listen to everything well and remember she had the iq of einstein so she knew what she was doing on the stand oh yeah fair <laughs> um they had the prosecution had experts testify about the crime scene and how was, there was no evidence showing that there was just there was a disturbance. Um, she also texted him things like, you're a terrible attorney and, um, quote, small dick, bad lay. Sorry for my language. And <laughs> I'm going to have to change the, the content <laughs> rating of this episode. Just kidding. Um, the day before he died, he had told his receptionist that he was scared to have the conversation with Shayna. So basically the um, conversation that where he was going to break up with her. Um, and then also an employee at a salon testified that she overheard Shayna telling a friend that she wanted to kill her boyfriend because he was seeing someone else. That right there could be first degree murder, which is a capital offense. Um, willful and de- deliberate, like you said, mm-hmm. malice, a forethought. It seems like she had every intent. It was pre-planned. That's just what I'm gathering from our conversation so far. Obviously, I haven't poured into the police reports or the mm-hmm. criminal complaint, the videos, but that's what I gather with, you know, the information that's been laid out in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, there, they, the experts testified that the injuries were not what they made, she, she made them seem like. So she really had minor injuries when she was saying that she was being thrown against bookshelves and TVs. Um, and she told someone that night that Ryan locked himself in his room to get away from her, and she used a bobby pin to get into the locked room. Um, other people testified that she used to laugh when she talked about killing him. 
so the trial lasted 16 days, and again, the jury came back in a few hours. So uh, they found her guilty of murder a second time, and she was sentenced to life this time. And she will have to serve 17 years before she is eligible for parole. Uh, she currently maintains her innocence, and she is currently still incarcerated. So this was back in 2018, so she yes. probably has, she has, what, like 12 more years to go yeah. then? Mm-hmm. Oh, luckily for her, um, can I ask a question? Did this happen in Kentucky or Ohio? Kentucky. He they, he lived in his his condo was in Kentucky. So I don't know if they have the death penalty or not, or if they have just a life in prison without the possibility of parole. But it sounds like she at least got the opportunity to go in front of the parole board after seventeen mm-hmm. years, and you know it's not a life or yeah. a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, So, yeah, that is the death of Ryan Poston and the trials of Shana Hubers. So what do we think? So I think basically she was upset that Ryan was going to – I don't know if she necessarily knew that he had a date, but she knew that he was talking to somebody else. Um, And basically he broke up with her and she didn't want anyone else to have him. And she tried to cover it up. Maybe she thought she was smarter. Not smarter than she is, but maybe tried to use her psychology degree to help her. Maybe use battered wife syndrome or... Whatever she could find. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's just another case of no matter what, innocent, guilty... Do not talk to the police. They have a job to do. Don't do their job for them. You have a constitutional right to remain silent, to have an attorney present for any questioning. And you know, that's that's to protect you. That's to protect you from saying one story and the 911 call. And then another story in interrogation. And then another story. And then another story. And then you're talking to inmates, you know. She did not put herself in a good position for her defense. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, maybe um, don't do pirouettes because they have voice recorders in there and they have cameras. So not really a great look. I. It doesn't surprise me that she was convicted based on what I've you know been what I've been able to review, what you've been able to review. Does that surprise you? No. Okay. Um. And what do you, do you think things might have gone differently if she had just asked for an attorney and then not spoken? I think so. And especially not, not speaking with people in the jail where she was being held pending trial, her cellmate. I think uh, her defense would have had a lot more options um, to go, you know, even first trial, second trial to... It's almost like the first trial was like a was like a practice run with what they learned about the juror, mm-hmm. um, so they kind of switched tactics for the second trial. But they would have had a lot more options. It felt like, from my perspective, they they were limited in what they could argue because of, you know, she couldn't keep her mouth closed. Fair. So is that it? Yeah, that's the all of the facts about the case. So. 
so again, if you haven't heard part one and you're wondering, you know, this is an interesting trial. Go back. Who are and these people? <laughs> yeah, who are these people? Um, go back and listen to part one. It's episode three. Um, but you know, I think we've covered everything. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Cover. Yes, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you have a second, if you're li- listening on Apple Podcasts, give us now give us five stars because I feel like we're five star worthy. Um, leave us a good review. If you're on Spotify, there's a you can leave us five stars if you'd like to. Yeah, I will say um, the true crime community makes this seem very easy, but actually researching these cases does take a lot of time. So I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate you guys listening. It did take you a long, you know, mm-hmm. you, you were into it. You had a lot of research for this case yes. and that's something I can appreciate for sure because I'm just, <laughs> I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next one do we have an idea or is that going to be a surprise um i have a list so we'll see i'm not sure okay fair enough so you'll have to stick around well when you're listening we'll probably have a better game plan of what we're gonna do before then but in the meantime go follow us on instagram allegedly with the molinas boom shameless plug all right (laughs) for you know, for Brie Molina, I'm Chris Molina. This is Allegedly with the Molinas. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.